It's Wednesday, April the 28th, and you're listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the world. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism here at the Hoover Institution. While I'm the only fellow to have that title, I'm not the only podcaster at Hoover. There's Econ Talk with Russ Roberts, the Grumpy Economist with John Cochran, the Pacific Century with Mitchell Oslin and John Yu, the Libertarian with Richard Epstein, Law Talk with Richard Epstein and John Yu, and Goodfellows with Neil Ferguson, H.R. McMaster and John Cochran. I take part in that show too. It's the audio version of what we film each week. If you want to subscribe, very simple, go to our website, www.hoover.org. Click on the Publications tab, then go to where it says Podcast. You can subscribe to any or all of them if you want to. You can also sign up for our monthly Pod Blast, which delivers the best of our products to you each month. Hoover Podcast, just one facet of ideas defining a free society. My guest today is Rob Stutzman. Rob's the founder and president of Stutzman Public Affairs, a Sacramento-based firm specializing in campaigns, communications, crisis management, and political advertising. Rob Stutzman was deputy chief of staff for communications for Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. He also served as co-communications director for Arnold's recall campaign in 2003. And you might be guessing, yes, that's what we're going to talk about, a recall in California, which appears to be on 18 years after we last went this. Rob, how are you doing? I'm good, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great. So question, Rob, in the spirit of I'll be back, did you think that a recall would be back? Well, 18 years is a while, but really kind of this soon. I didn't see this one coming, and I was certainly a skeptical when uh, when it commenced. Uh, some of it, I think the timing's a bit odd here at the end of the first term of a sitting governor, but mm. I'm not surprised to see another one in my lifetime. Uh, it's this unique uh, uh, asset that California voters have in, uh, in the populist construct of our of our state. Mm to be able to go to the ballot for something like this. And good idea or bad idea if the state has this kind of direct democracy? I think it's a good idea. I think the we could raise the, the bar a bit on what it takes to qualify this, especially speaking as a Republican. I'd be very concerned that if Republican ever <laughs> was able to secure the governorship, they'd immediately face a, a recall. Right. So I, I think it's a good idea. I think our type, type of direct democracy in California is just about the right touch the way we do initiatives and have access to things like the recall and referendum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it'd be fair to maybe increase the, the, the bar and the number of signatures that would be required to make sure we were at a broader consensus of the citizenry in, to conduct something like this. Yeah, you and I agree on this. I have a <clears throat> call coming out uh, for Hoover tomorrow, and uh, I suggested this important. California takes only 12%. People should know to do a recall in California, you have to collect uh, verified signatures of 12% of the turnout from the previous gubernatorial vote. Uh, so for this one, it was 1.495. Uh, it must have been minuscule in 2003 because there was a low turnout election in 2002 for Gray Davis. Um, but you look at other states, Rob, the um, the bar is higher. It's uh, 25% in some states, uh, 33%, I think, in Louisiana, 40% in Kansas. If you if you raise the bar to uh, 25% in California, I did the math, they would have need, Rob, about 3 million uh, verified yeah. signatures. And I don't think this is going to happen because they came in with, what, about 1.6 million, I believe? Yeah, that's, that's, that's about where they came in, in terms of valid signatures. That's right. Yeah. Uh, what they and what they what the organizers did was their the, the validity rate. So validity rate on signatures matters. Just to egghead on this for a moment, mm-hmm. because you can get the petitions in, but not all the signatures are going to be valid. Their validity right. rate was off the chart successful, much higher than what comes in when these are gathered on the street mm-hmm. by petition paid petition gatherers. What they did was they pretty much creamed the Republicans' households in California. Right. And so they, they largely did this with 
the twenty five percent of the state that's that's Republican. Mm-hmm. And to move to the threshold you're talking about, right, they would have have to move beyond that. Um, it would have taken more resources to do so. Maybe they would have accomplished it, but it, it would it would have it would have been a broader consensus of the citizenry uh, if you if you did raise the threshold. Yeah, the other thing which we could do on the recall, and I'm, I'm surprised Democrats just haven't thought about this, Rob, because there's been, I think there's been only one change to the process since 2003, and that was creating this 30-day window where you can take back your signature if you want to. But um, I guess they never gave thought to allowing a, a target of a recall to also run on the second part of the ballot. Because if you allow that in California, and you're smiling already because you know where I'm going with this, uh, if Gavin Newsom were facing a recall but allowed to run on the second question on the recall, and you were the only Democrat, this, this would be an academic conversation. He'd be, he, right. he might he might be recalled, but then he'd be reelected. Right, right. And and if that was had been the case eighteen years ago, uh, in all likelihood, Cruz Bustamante, the Democrat lieutenant governor, probably wouldn't have appeared on the ballot uh, exactly. against Gray Davis. So, Rob, what's your sense as to what drove this? Um, the, the signature gathering effort. Uh, you read the petition; it's a litany of rather familiar conservative complaints. Um, you know things which you know really conservatives run for statewide and usually get creamed in California. On uh, there's no mention of COVID, for example, because they started the process before the pandemic came along. Um, you hear all these different co- contributions to it. Some people say the pandemic is what's driving it. Some people saying it's a quality of life in California. Some people saying it's Newsom himself, the French Laundry, and so forth. What, what's, what's your sense, Rob, as to what put this over the top? I do think I do think it's COVID related. Uh, I think when the when the governor um, put himself into the situation of the now infamous French Laundry uh, restaurant incident, he created a caricature of himself that basically embodied everything that people think is wrong with politicians. And it mm-hmm. turns out it's true. He was a hypocrite. Uh, he was at the he's an elitist. He's at the most uh, expensive restaurant in the state and oh my god he was with lobbyists uh so it's like it all turns out to be true and when when politicians allow themselves to be defined in this type of of caricature then you know it can be sensationalized and take off into pop culture right i think it, it animates people and i think if not for that moment i'm not so sure this all would have would have happened there obviously was frustration particularly with small business owners about the herky-jerky nature uh, and the unclear thinking behind many of his COVID restrictions, you know, mm-hmm. that was true for 49 other governors by and large as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it was this, this one moment that just animated this, this, uh, this frustration that was going on with government. And there's other things layered on top of that. I, I think Californians saw more of the governor than they ever had before. And it turns out maybe they don't like him so much. He's hard to understand. He doesn't explain things. And in common language. Uh, right. So I, you know, I think there's a lot of exposure to voters uh, by the governor himself that probably didn't do him any, any favors through the, through in the midst of this. Now the organizers also used COVID to raise the money necessary uh, to get the signatures. They did a lot of this through direct mail. It took millions of dollars to do it. And what I, I know uh, for a fact is that they were able to raise a lot of that money from business owners that were frustrated with the, the shutdown orders, what they saw as a lack of sense to many of them. And, and the governor, as we may, may recall back at, in January, immediately rever- you know, re- quickly reversed course on many of these shutdowns. And when that happened, the donors realized they had his attention, that their money was, 
was being impactful. And I think they raised more money uh, to finish the job off of all that. So to me, it's COVID. Long answer to your question, but this we wouldn't be here at all today if it, if it wasn't for COVID. I'm going to go back to the French Laundry for a second. Uh, uh, yeah, not 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 actually physically go to the French Laundry, but uh, let's talk about a second. If you're his communications director, you you've been a communications director to governor. How would you spin that? I mean, how how would you get him out of that mess? I mean, if he went for the cameras right away and said he owned it, but what can you really do to 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 beat it down? Uh, you well, you have to own it, but right. it's easy for politicians to say that, and he, he's he's pretty good at saying he accepts full responsibility for something, but then he yes. keeps talking. Yes. and starts making the excuses. And I, I think the the problem for him on this, it was never sincere. It was never truly contrite. Um, even as recently as uh, about a month ago when he was on CNN and Jake Tapper pushed him on this and you could just see him, the governor getting frustrated and annoyed that he's being asked about it. Right. You know, when you, when you make a mistake like that, you have to be, you know, fully, uh, fully convincing that you are contrite and that you made a mistake and that you are you are sorry and that's not so much a messaging as much as the the art of can a politician be sincere and authentic uh and in this case he's i think he's probably largely failed the test yeah he also right out of the shoot he wasn't quite honest about it he said he didn't break any COVID protocols and then of course out popped the photo of him sitting at the very crowded table and just it just got worse and worse for him and, the, and a sliding door that closes yes. on that room, which I'll fully disclose I, I'm, I'm aware of because I've been in that room. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lovely evening, but it completely violated his COVID protocol. It's exactly right. Okay. Is he in a, is Gavin Newsom in a better or worse position than Gray Davis was at this point in 2003? Well, he's in a much better position. Uh, he's not as unpopular. And the state's, the circumstances are different. I mean, Gray, uh, was presiding over a huge budget deficit that became revealed immediately after he was reelected mm-hmm. uh, in November of 2002. To remedy the, that uh, deficit, he unilaterally triggered an increase in the vehicle license fee, right. better known as a car tax. Right. So he immediately taxed every Californian uh, because every Californian has at least one car, if, if not two. And so that created a certain amount of outrage. Then there were budget cuts, which hurts him with his core Democrat uh, constituencies. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was on the heels of uh, blackouts the previous year, previous couple of years. And there was also uh, the whiff of scandal going on. Some people forget this, but there was a, an IT scandal linked with Oracle, an Oracle contract to his administration. And that was getting quite a bit of, of press at the time. So, uh, uh, and the economy wasn't as good. So the wrong track, what us political consultants love to ask people, do you think the state's on the right track or the wrong track? The wrong track was buried up into the 70th percentile. And that's, that's danger for any incumbent politician when people are that dissatisfied and negative about the state. Right now, the wrong track in California is maybe around 50%. Um, I haven't seen it as high as 60% in any of the, any of the polling I've seen this past year. The governor's got not just a budget surplus, but now with federal aid, they don't know, even know how to spend all the money. They'll be, they'll be probably lighting it on fire at the state capitol. So he's not cutting the budgets of core Democrat constituencies. Right. Uh, he's not raising taxes. Right. Doesn't need to. That'd be absurd. So it's, I, think it's a, I think it's a very different circumstance than, than 03. 
Yeah, it's interesting, Rob, if you go back and look at the numbers, I was looking at exit polls in 2003 the other day, and uh, the exit polls had turnout almost even among Republicans and Democrats in 2003, and this is a Democratic-oriented state. Why were Republicans more enthusiastic uh, than Democrats were in that election? Is it as simple as Arnold or something more? Well, I think Arnold, no, I'm sure Arnold helped that, but it was, uh, you know, recall was a referendum on a Democrat incumbent that wasn't very popular, so Republican voters were animated. It's an opportunity to, to take the office. And I don't think there was much Democrat enthusiasm uh, for Gray Davis. So he didn't have, uh, he wasn't so popular that people, Democrat voters felt strongly that they needed to get out and, and defend him, yeah. which, which could be a bit of a problem for Newsom. I mean, the, the good news for him, though, is the, the margin between D's and R's now, as opposed to 18 years ago, is about double in, in right. California. So he, he can still potentially come through this even without a, 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 lar- a greatly inspired Democrat electorate. Right. You expect there will be a Democrat on the ballot, though. I still think there will be. Uh, we have a long ways to go until the field is set. What I remind people is that at this point, 18 years ago, Cruz Bustamani, who of course, ultimately ran as the Democrat, was giving ironclad Sherman-esque statements that he was not going to run. So all these Democrats that say they're not going to run, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what they're saying now. And it's easy to say it now. I think people are going to wait and uh, see what Newsom's political standing is at the end of the summer. You're likely to not have a filing deadline probably till you know, Labor Day or later. So right. there's, a, there's a ways to go until I think we really know who all the candidates will be. It seems to me, Rob, that a Democrat could easily wait until 59 days out when the cutoff is for filing and say that, I love Governor Newsom. I would do anything to save Governor Newsom, but we have to do this for the good of the par- for the party. So I reluctantly make myself a candidate for governor of California. And you and I know exactly what they're thinking about there, but you could you could try to pretend like you're wearing a white hat when you do this. That's that's probably, I mean, that's what Cruz Bustamante did. You know, right. No one recall yes on me. Uh, I think someone probably does do that. I also think keep an eye on core Democrat constituencies, unions, um, wanting to have a candidate just to hedge the bet as well. And, you know, if, if, if some unions give the nudge to somebody, that person pretty much has the cover uh, to do so without there being you know, huge ramifications. So the one thing missing from this recall is Arnold Schwarzenegger, or more to the point, Rob, a celebrity of Arnold Schwarzenegger's dimension. And uh, I don't want to be mean to Caitlyn Jenner, but look, it's Caitlyn Jenner is not Arnold Schwarzenegger by any means, because what is Arnold? Arnold was, first of all, a celebrity who was on a first name basis with the world. Uh, not too many celebrities like that. Oprah, Arnold, Madonna, and a, a select few. Second, Arnold, uh, as we forget, is uh, as people tend to overlook, is somebody who just has the ability to write himself checks in the order of seven and eight figures if he wants to, because he's fabulously wealthy. But third, and I think this is one thing overlooked in 2003, he was serious about this. I mean, yes, it was, you know, to the eyes, it was a circus and it was a fun ride. And yeah, he shot, you know, t-shirts out of cannons and he dropped wrecking balls on car taxes, things which you probably set up for him. But he also took his policy seriously. He spent time with a lot of my colleagues at the Hoover Institution that had a very sophisticated policy thing. So I just, I don't see a celebrity. In fact, it's kind of the same thing. I wrote a piece for this in the Washington Post, Rob, you know, Matthew McConaughey is looking at running in Texas. The Rock is looking running for president. And, you know, right now we have Caitlyn Jenner. So, you know, this is how these people thank California. They, they run elsewhere. Well, I, it, it, you know, the, 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 uh, the other aspect of this is if someone rich and famous does run with celebrity, I think it's more likely to be to the left. 
yeah. uh, than, than to the right this time. I'm not sure who that would person would be uh, that is that it would be center or center right. Uh, but the potential for someone from the from the left to come out of Hollywood, I would think, is is pretty real, as well as Silicon Valley, because you know it's billionaires abound, and of course they all believe they're the smartest people in the world. Right. Uh, so I still think there's potential potential there. But I, yeah, my guess is this will happen without an an Arnold type of of candidate. Uh, there aren't. That's just so difficult to replicate. Uh, he was the most famous person in the world aside from the Pope at the time. And, and now, you know, it's, it's interesting the way the world works now is there people aren't necessarily that famous because we're so bifurcated through uh, different media channels and social media channels uh, that, it, you know, the, the box office star like Arnold really doesn't uh, exist anymore in the same way. No, the Oscars uh, bitterly proved that on Sunday. That just right. movie stars, but uh, yeah. you know, one other thing which you might see, I um, I've noticed this in two thousand three. You didn't have Facebook, you didn't have Instagram, you didn't have YouTube or TikTok. Um, celebrity has changed a lot in the last eighteen years, and you know, one of the quirk of California laws that people don't know is that. All you have to do is be a resident of the state for five years and a registered voter, which means 18 or older, and you can run for governor. You know, most states have a cutoff of usually 30 for governor, but in California, an 18 year old could actually you know, run the state. God save us all. So I just think you might see a genre of uh, influencers and just, you know, people with $4,000 to file and just a you know, way to get cheap attention for two months. But it really is a different, it's not, it's not movie star. It's not global superstar. It's just people are famous for, well, for being famous, I guess. Well, which is a bit of Caitlyn Jenner, uh, yes. you know, her, her extended family. That's of course what, what they're famous for. Uh, but yeah, this, this platform is made for a Kardashian type uh, type candidates, yeah. uh, and I think we'll see, we'll see we'll see more TikTokers, influencers. I think there's probably agencies that you know have these people as clients that are looking at the opportunity to use this uh, for that. None of this is good for Gavin Newsom, by the way. So that's my, that's my next question. The more yeah. Caitlyn Jenner, you know, I, I don't know if she's a serious candidate at the end of the day. I don't know how many votes she gets, but she certainly draws attention to the race. And that's the question, Rob. Does that help or hurt Newsom the more attention is pointed to the recall? Well, I think it hurts Newsom. And, you know, Newsom's fate is on a yes, no question, right? So he, he runs against himself. Yeah, yeah he, he's running against him himself. And while Caitlyn Jenner may never become the, the leading candidate, uh, she, though, can become a messenger with a sharp edge on a lot of the negatives that, that Newsom does have. And she can take that messaging to places that Kevin Faulkner and John Cox can't go, like Ellen's Couch and social media accounts and The View uh, and a vira virality on social media that they can't, they can't achieve. Uh, but she can, and that that poses challenges for for Team Newsom because they now have to think about, you know, executing this race in that realm as opposed to the more conventional channels where political campaigns are are discussed. Yeah, um, you know, speaking of the View and all those shows, how did you ration out Arnold's media appearances in two thousand three? Because I imagine it was like drinking out a fire hydrant; just you could choose anywhere, anytime you wanted. So, how did how did you ration it? We would, uh, <laughs> well, we would, we would try to have a, a beat to it. Um, a lot of it had to do with Arnold and relationships. Um, NBC, I think, had a lot of good access because of, of Maria, right. uh, you know, 
obviously he announced on the Jay Leno show and he, he favored Leno over something, you know, over Letterman, but never went on Letterman. Mm -hmm. uh, but what was, what was really the most difficult to manage was all the foreign press attention. <laughs> and I, I, we had, we had buses full of just foreign reporters on the last weekend that wanted to access. And there was this one French reporter who the best I could tell was probably the Tom Brokaw of France. And he's begging to get on the bus to interview Arnold. And I'm just like, we don't have any voters in France. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. So it was, it was quite a bit to, uh, it was quite a bit to manage. The advantage was we had access to uh, the, the, high, the highest echelons of American media, right? So Tom Brokaw was on the bus, Peter Jennings was on the bus, and right. you know, we had, were able to generate all that exposure. Okay, so put yourself in that situation now in 2021, you're working for, working for these candidates who's running. How do you get attention for them? It's difficult. Yeah. I, I would, uh, you know, I think, <laughs> I think you have to go on um, a, a pretty uh, specific attack mode uh, on the governor. Mm -hmm. uh, the race is about the, this race is about the governor and, and you need to be up and down the state into all these smaller markets. Um, you should be broadcasting basically your own TV show every day uh, through social media and putting all that content out there and, you know, and hoping for the, the moment where some of, some of that will catch on to become more viral. But the, the, the conventional method of just showing up and doing a news conference and, uh, you know, and attacking with talking points and then getting into, uh, you know, parry and thrust with reporters doing Q&A afterwards, I don't think it's going to move the needle. You got to be more ambitious than that. You got to create your own content. You got to push it out there. And I think it's got to be just relentless. Uh, and I also think that's how we'll help you raise money. Um, create content that's going to catch on to get you the small donors online. And then also see some type of movement uh, in the campaign that may animate the large donors that who have basically been slumbering uh, or avoiding California Republicans uh, over the last decade because they don't think they can be competitive. Now the question of what to run on in 2003, Arnold ran on what? It was uh, the car tax, the vehicle license right. repealing the increase. It was workers' compensation reform. It was uh, blowing up the boxes in Sacramento, as he talked about. And it was also running on just being Arnold and just being a breath of fresh air. But in 2021, Rob, what's your sense as to what these candidates should be talking about? Because getting back to what we began this with, look, there's pandemic, there's the French laundry, there are a lot of quality of life issues hanging over California. Um, I'm not sure exactly how to craft a campaign out of all that. Yeah, it would have to. I think you really would have to focus on what he, what Newsom has not fixed, which is which is uh, homelessness, which continues to be uh, an issue that impacts every community and and overly impacts more liberal communities. Right. Uh, frankly, so I would be attacking on that. I would be talking about education and what a failure uh, it has been to get kids back into the classroom. Uh, and attacking the governor on that. And then I would, I would go for the insider pay to play story that that's there. Uh, sole source contracts, you know, exclusive dinners with lobbyists violating pro COVID protocols. Um, you know, somebody who's out of touch. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it sounds like you're suggesting a much more um, personal uh, campaign than 2003. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Arnold came to uh, Stanford and Hoover in, I think, his first year in office in 2004 and um, gave a talk to us. Uh, we used to do this uh, thing on the uh, out in the uh, the quad area of Stanford outdoors and have a nice summer dinner outside. He spoke as kind of a... I was there. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you to George Schulson. One of his speechwriters called me and... Uh, and I uh, said, can you come up with any good jokes? And I thought I had a very good joke for him to open up, which was, you know, he he wanted to thank Stanford because Eunice Shriver was class in 1942. And, you know, without Eunice, there's no Maria. And Gray Davis was class in 1964. Without Gray Davis, he doesn't have that job. Uh, but the speechwriter thought it was funny, but the speechwriter nixed it because he told me, you know, Arnold doesn't want to make it personal against Gray Davis. And right. you know, reflecting on that recall, um, I, you know, I, I don't have all of Arnold's transcripts in front of me, but, you know, Tom, I, I don't remember Arnold really ripping into Gray Davis that much personally. It was mainly an attack on Sacramento, just the culture of government. But in 2021, I can see this becoming very personal against Newsom. French laundry is personal. Uh, pay for play is personal. Uh, if you want to make it very personal, and it involves bringing in children, which always makes me a little squeamish, but he called himself a Zoom dad repeatedly, and his kids go to private school. So I'm not sure how much Zoom dadding he's actually doing. No, I think you... I. Th- I think you'd have to make it personal. It can't just be about ideas because you need Democrats to vote yes on the recall. Um, so I, I would I would go to all those likability issues, the hypocrisy, um, out of touch. You know, it, it would have to. I think it would have to get pretty vicious in order to succeed. Yeah, uh, Newsom seems to me, Rob, to understand that he has a problem here. It's, you know, he has a gun pointed at him. I don't know if there's a bullet in the gun or not. And the surest way to tell is he got he's stopped doing the one thing you mentioned uh, earlier. He stopped doing those midday news conferences in Sacramento where he would stand up. And uh, we have a mutual friend who would track these every day. He sent me the daily Newsom word salad where it just right. you know, this governor has an ability to use 60 words where 10 are required. It's just it's just it's tech gobbledygook. It kind of comes out of his book, Citizenville, that he wrote. Um, but they ditched that. Um, I noticed other subtle things. He uh, he started changing his clothes. He's wearing a lot more quarter zips and looking kind of a little more user friendly. And he did the one thing, uh, which I think you would advise governors at all times. He got the heck out of Sacramento and started you know going on the road and going to places and talking about progress. So it seems to me that you know, unlike Davis uh, at this point, in 2003, I think Newsom understands the situation he's in. Oh, he does. I think he's taking it very seriously. Um, all the changes that he's made to the to the routine and presentation I think have served him well over the last couple of months once he started getting out on the road instead of looking like he was being held hostage uh, somewhere on those daily briefings <laughs> the, the, you know the other one I mean the wind is sales he's got a good story to talk about right now I mean California has the lowest positivity rate in the entire country and as rocky as the vaccine rollout began in California uh, we, we pretty much have caught up to it and we're, you know, it's a pretty good success story. And, you know, governors get to take credit for good news if they're going to get blamed for the bad news. So exactly. he's, he's, he's got a little bit of that in his, in his sales at the moment. Yeah, that's why I think, Rob, it just becomes a much more personal campaign. You know, 2003, a lot of people got surprises from Sacramento. They got a bill in the mail and their eyes bugged out when they saw that their car tax was suddenly 500 bucks where it used to be 170 bucks. But, you know, Newsom doesn't have that, um, you know, going to voters this fall. So I think if you're trying to oust him from office, you simply have to make him as unlikable as possible. So, yeah, a lot of French laundry. Uh, maybe maybe they use the private school thing and just, you know, he is he does preen. He is the embodiment of a Marin County metro. Sexual, so maybe you just try to 
try to see if you can get 50% of the voters to really just dislike that, that appearance and those actions. Well, and, and get Democrats to not like him and not, not bother to go to the polls to, to save him. Um, so, you know, part of, well, part of uh, uh, deflating the Democrat enthusiasm, you know, would be another benefit of this type of campaign. The question is, who's got tens of millions of dollars to do this? And it, it's not apparent at all that anyone, anyone does. And that's probably what it would require. So he's not on the ballot. He cannot run for governor because he is not a resident of California for the past five years. But how much are we going to hear the name Donald Trump between now and November, whenever this election is held? Well, you'll, you'll hear a lot of it from Newsom and his video that was released this week uh, by his campaign when they when they announced they you know met the threshold for the the signatures. Um, obviously, invoked a lot of Donald Trump, and that this campaign was being you know, brought on to us by Donald Trump supporters. So that's smart on their part. There's a lot of utility in that. They want to animate Democrat base. They want to hold other Democrats from getting into the race. So continue to define this as some type of Donald Trump Republican extremist uh, event. But I don't think voters see it that way or really would look at through that lens. I mean, this is really going to be about uh, Governor Newsom, their li- you know, people's lives in California, what you think about it and, and how the state should be governed. So I think Trump Trump will be more of a something that he wants to talk about. Trump will be something the media may want to talk about. But I think uh, I don't think it's anything the voters really see as relevant to their decision in this in this election. You think we see more of Donald Trump or Kimberly Guilfoyle? Well, I, my theory is we don't see any of them, although it'd be fun to see Kimberly come out here and campaign against her ex-husband. Um, yeah. But I think the Trump family is very conscious of not being a, too closely associated with this and it, and it fails. And yes. then it's the loss in California. Um, there was, you know, Trump associate, a former uh, director of national intelligence, Richard Grinnell, you know, was rumored to be a candidate, was supposedly, you know, taking a good look at it, met with Trump. And what, you know, what I'm hearing is that the, the Trump family is like, no, it's, it's a loser. Don't do it. So, you know, he's coming off of being leading Republicans to their, you know, the biggest losing cycle since, uh, since Hoover. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, and I think they're conscious of trying to rebuild their, the brand with some wins. Rob, uh, news came out this week that uh, California is going to lose a congressional seat. This has never happened before. So if you want evidence of people leaving the state and California not having the same kind of cloud it used to, uh, there it is. So you look at California in 2021. Um, what do you see? Uh, I see a state with uh, with a ruling class of progressives, uber majorities of progressives in Sacramento, and even the congressional delegation uh, that is still out of sync, though, with where, where California really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, California is center left, but it's not extreme left. And we're starting to see, uh, I think, a wider variance of people who are wealthy and then people who are, are working poor and we're losing a middle class and there's nothing really being done to, to address that uh, from a policy perspective. I think it's largely beyond the imagination of, of the state's legislature uh, and probably this, this governor in, in, in particular. So um, I hate to be a pessimist, but I, I, just, I just see more systemic problems continuing to, to manifest and how that all comes to some type of, of, of boiling point obviously remains to be seen. Probably not much happens in terms of real political reckoning until the economy downturns again right. uh, and unemployment goes back up. But 
homelessness, they can't fix it. We've thrown, keep throwing money at public schools that underperform. Uh, we're on, we're on um, schemes now with energy pricing that's just gonna make it more expensive to live here. And, and we don't, we're not building enough housing. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. We're gonna drive the capital that finances housing stock out of the state because they can't, they can't turn around housing here. So I don't know, that's not, that, there's, there's, there's very little good news when I look at the state bills. <laughs> I'm sure you're well, glad you well, asked. Wait a second, you're a Dodgers fan. You have plenty of good news to talk about in that front. Well, as long as we can keep signing free agents every year. They're, they're uh, and the Dodgers, and yeah. convince them to come to California and take the tax hit that goes with it. <laughs> right. Trevor Bauer so decided to. So there's an apparent solution to homelessness, Rob, and that's to hold the Oscars in your homeless infested area. So apparently they, they had to clean out Union Station in Los Angeles, but apparently they, they got rid of the homeless population for 72 or 96 hours or however long they were told to get out. Yeah, we, more awards shows is the kind of the best strategy they have in L.A. on that. There you go. Let's talk about the Republican existence now in California, if we're going to continue on the theme of pessimism here. So uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, a fellow named Steve Poisner, who was elected uh, insurance commissioner in 2006, are the only two Republicans to win statewide office here going back to 2002. I think that was the first year Democrats swept offices, Rob. Uh, that is a terrible batting average if we uh, want to extend the baseball metaphor. So I get asked this question a lot. So I'd like to hear it from you. How to turn this around? You know, it's interesting because there's there's plenty of other blue states that will on occasion elect a Republican governor, right? Massachusetts. Massachusetts does it with some regularity over the last several decades, but New Jersey, Maryland, I mean, you, you see this happen. Uh, the question is, is, is in California, is there, um, with the, with so many minority, ethnic minority voters, could that happen? Because the, the site did, where it does happen is largely in white white states. And I was pretty pessimistic about that until I think we've started to see, though, that we are Republicans are reaching a point where they can grow Latino and Hispanic vote share. Right. Uh, they certainly did in this last election cycle. And I think that holds some opportunity in this decade that you could maybe have a breakthrough type of uh, Republican candidate that connect that can connect with uh, particularly Latino voters and, and pull off some type of um, control of the governor's office in order to, to basically bracket this extremely liberal legislature. Uh, but uh, the, the, this, you know, the gap in the voters is, is, is amazing. And when we talk about earlier about the exodus mm -hmm. of people from California, I mean, I think those are disproportionately Republican voters instead of Democrat voters. So it's, it's, it's difficult. It's gonna have to be someone that probably has a, a certain amount of fame and can self fund because it's right. so expensive. And like we said earlier, the donors just aren't interested because they don't think it's, it's possible to, to, to win. So I don't see this happening in next year's cycle uh, in 20, in 22, but you know, down the road, come 26 or even even 30 i think that's what republicans need to be striving for and then what's the republican party going to even be nationally you know if it truly becomes um a more you know more trumpy continues to be a trumpy populist type party uh, I, don't, I don't know how that ever really fares in in I california think, i think that's a problem that non-californians don't appreciate if you go into a local republican office in california rob let's further you go to a local democratic office in california you maybe have a local office holder on the wall, you know, usually two or three photos. There's usually a local office holder, and then there's a national Democrat. And it's if it's Barack Obama or Joe Biden 
or one of the Kennedy brothers. They're just, there are tons of Democratic icons to plug into. You go into the Republican office and, you know, first of all, if you're lucky enough to have a local office holder, you put his or her face up there. Then the question is, who goes next? Arnold Schwarzenegger has a complicated relationship with the Republican Party. My old boss, Pete Wilson, has a complicated relationship with the Republican Party. Donald Trump, George Bush, I mean, the list goes on. There is no national avatar, it seems, Ron, that, Rob, Rob, that connects to, to California. And I, I think that's part of the challenge here for the state GOP to rebuild. There has to be a national party and national leaders who play well in California. There does. I mean, the party, you know, this problem in California predates Donald Trump right. substantially. I mean, this. It's a party that has been defined by white males, mostly from the South, uh, really uh, for the past decade, decade and a half. And people get their information from cable, cable outlets that emanate out of DC. And now you got people that go to Congress just to do that, as Matt Gates has openly admitted uh, to, to Congressman from Florida. So, uh, right, who is the avatar that connects out here in California is a, is a good question. Um, I don't, we haven't, you know, we haven't seen them and it's, it's hard to be optimistic in it about that happening. And it doesn't appear that it's anyone that's homegrown. Uh, I mean, Kevin Faulkner, I think would be a perfectly wonderful governor. I think he's got a good story to tell. I mean, he's was governor of a big city with Democrat majorities. Uh, but man, to translate that into the nation state of, of California is a Herculean uh, political task. No, it surely is. So let's talk about how this recall may play out. So right now, uh, apparently 1.6 million verified signatures will get uh, an official count uh, later this week, perhaps. It then goes to Secretary of State. She verifies it. And then there's the 30-day window uh, in which people can take back their vote. But we assume that if you voted to recall the governor, you're not going to have second thoughts. We assume it's still on. Uh, then let's see what we get into. Uh, we weigh the financial estimates, and at some point, Lieutenant Governor Lenny Kunalakis uh, calls the special election. Here it gets intriguing because she can do, I believe, a 50 to 90 day window for when the election is held. If she does it 59 days out, uh, she maybe she could she could give everybody one day to decide if they're in or not. If you really want to jam people sitting on the fence, uh, so somehow Rob, this ends up coming off in October, November, even though we don't know how it's going on. So, how do you see this kind of you know complicating life in Sacramento? Because You've been in that governor's office. You know the rhythm. There's the May revise to the budget. Uh, then you get into budget negotiations in June. You get a budget ideally by July 1st. Then you're into the bill signing season before you know it. The law, you know, lawmakers are going through bills. You're kind of sending messages on what you want or you don't want. You got to decide what you want to sign. And then you roll out those bills and cherry pick. And sitting above all this is this question whether or not you're going to have a job come next year. Yeah, it, it's already affecting governance in Sacramento. You're you're seeing things like uh, single payer get held in the in the state assembly, fracking ban get killed. Things that the governor doesn't want on his desk. But then when there's criticism, he reacts by by That's trying executive to, order right with executive order on fracking. So I think I think there's plenty of evidence that he is um, he's got his head on a swivel and is reacting to the left and the center. Um, because he sees jeopardy come, possibly coming to him from, from both. The stronger the governor stays in a electoral position, a political position though, the more independent he'll be able to remain. Uh -huh. uh, if he starts to become, have you know, more, more jeopardy and he's concerned maybe about a populist entering the race or a progressive, I should say, from the left, I mean, you know, I'm afraid we'll see him swing wildly to the left, particularly basically do the bidding of unions um, what anything they would request. Gray Davis fell prey to that. He largely had managed the, the unions through his 
first five years in office, but then desperately needed them to help save his hide. And of course, gave away the store to them on the way out. He so, also, also flip flopped so, on a driver's license for, for uh, a yes, Right. So we had a right. Friday night, I believe, at Latino only media, but it was really bad all around. So I, you know, hopefully the governor is able to, I, I think in the interest of the governing, you know, some independence still through, through the legislative session uh, and not necessarily give in uh, to all the requests that come his way. The, the interesting relationship he has right now is uh, with unions is the nurses association is very upset. They don't feel like he's holding to his promise on single payer. And then it's of course a tenuous relationship with the teachers union right now, because they haven't got back to the classroom in the way he would like. And if schools aren't back to normal in the fall, then he does, I think, have a real problem on the, on the ballot. Can you explain briefly why the nurses union is so problematic for governor? Because this is something that your former boss ran into. You know, it's the, the people that run the union are just, are, are purely, truly radicals. It's just, it's an ideological radical organization. Uh, those are the people that run it. Um, they're obviously extremely aggressive uh, in their political tactics. And, uh, you know, Newsom overpromised to them because he wanted their support against Villaraigosa back in that, in, back in that primary. And uh, they are, they're feeling scorned probably rightfully so, given what uh, they were promised. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, Villaraigosa. It's Antonio Villaraigosa, the former mayor of Los Angeles. Do you think he'll get in? I think there's a good chance he does. Uh, I think he'll look at it through the summer. Uh, you can see he doesn't really have anything to to lose other than it may, you know, it, it may unseat a, I think, comfortable business, lucrative business he has going on the consulting side. Right. Uh, but I think there's a real opportunity for Antonio and I think that would be a real problem for the for the for Newsom on this yes no question. And I don't know that Antonio would run on the premise of oppose the recall vote for me. And there's yeah. a good chance he just runs and says I can do a better job than this guy uh, and appeal, appeal the Democrat voters. How important was it to have uh, Bustamante at the time a lieutenant governor on the ballot uh, in 2003? I've heard people argue this both ways, Rob, that it was important to um, it helped Arnold significantly, but I've also heard people say it didn't really matter that Arnold. Arnold was really, it didn't matter if Post Mother's Day, Arnold was going to win regardless. I think it, I think it helped uh, with the recall passing, um, but I also believe it would have, it would have passed either way, even without these. Okay, final question for you, Rob. I hate to put you on the spot of your predictions because I predicted Donald Trump wrong in every move. I thought he'd <laughs> yeah, I'll I'd never, you on that. get the nomination, never get elected, blah, blah, blah. Um, but if you had to wager at this point uh, with, a, a, with a recall, let's assume coming in November, what do you think the outcome is? Well, I think, I think the likelihood is still that the recall fails and that Newsom survives. But I think the, I think the potential for him to get recalled is greater than the, the current conventional wisdom that's out there in the media. Um, I do think there's a good chance a Democrat gets in, and if they do, it really uh, complicates this uh, ballot question for him. Okay, so you're so you're saying that he actually so there's a chance he could get recalled because it's a yes/no vote on him himself. He's not running against a Republican or extension Donald Trump. It's a referendum on him. But the, yes. the question, but the question is, if he were recalled, then who would who would win on the second side of the ballot? Because you have you have three or four Republicans, you know. You know, chomping with space. I think now we have too many Republicans that are dividing up the vote. If there's a single Democrat, I would I would suspect the Democrat would emerge. But I, I think we're a, we're a long way from seeing how the field settles out, and then how much of the vote goes to you know kind of the nutty celebrity category, whether it's Caitlyn Jenner, Randy Quaid, or whoever. Uh, <laughs> I, but I, if if 
because I think if Democrats go, maybe a couple go. I could see a progressive going then if Antonio runs. And it's just, I'm not trying to dodge. It's just too hard to handicap right now. Because there's going to be, you know, there'll be over 100 names on the ballot, if not 200. Just do me a favor. When you take over the Randy Quaid campaign, please give me a heads up, okay? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be run out of a Winnebago. Yeah. <laughs> Natural Lampoon's Christmas vacation, right? <laughs> Great stuff. Hey, Rob, Rob Stoss, I enjoyed the conversation and uh, thanks for sharing uh, memories of a recall past and a recall present. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thanks. I enjoyed the conversation, my friend. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the world. If you've been enjoying this podcast, uh, please subscribe to our show. And if you wouldn't mind, spread the word, get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. Is at Hoover I-N-S-T. Rob Stutman, brave man that he is, is on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Rob Stutzman, spelled R-O-B-S-T-U-T-Z-M-A-N, at Rob Stutzman. I mentioned our website at the beginning of the broadcast, www.hoover.org. Uh, do yourself a favor and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, which delivers the best work of Hoover's fellows to your inbox weekdays. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Matters of Policy and Politics. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.